Welcome to another edition of the Romantic About Baseball podcast, episode 17, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Jim? Uh, it's definitely less than 20 and more than 15 by now, so it's, we got to narrow it down in there. The worst. Let's just call it 17, 18, and 19. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just at once, and we're taking the next two weeks off. We'll just lump it together. Uh, joining us on whatever episode this is, is our very special guest, senior writer at Fangraphs, Dan Simborski. Dan, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, thank you. We're thrilled to have you. This is uh, this is a treat for us. So uh, normally I have like lines of questions prepared and a structure, but I was like, you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna freeform it tonight. Um, yeah, I don't do structure well because what happens to me in life is that if there's structure, it's like being told to do something, and I'm still essentially like an eight year old. If I'm told <laughs> to do something, I will not do it at all. Uh, like my mom still knows when she calls me, like if she wants me to do something for her, she will not directly ask me. I'll be happy to help her out. But once she asks me and it's required, I won't do it. There you go. I'm out. <laughs> no, no more. You're like, it's like my two year old when it's like, okay, it's time to go to bed. No, just no, yeah. no, no logic. No reason behind it. Like you don't even know what you're going to do if you stay up. It's just no. <laughs> well, I mean, if I. I, if I think about it, I mean, if I stayed up when I was a kid, I'd probably play video games and watch baseball. Right. And as an adult who stays up very late, I'm, I'm, I'm playing video games and watching baseball. So I'm kind of living the eight-year-old fantasy life. The- <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish there were, like, arcades were, like, a thing where I was. Because, you know, when you were a kid, you go to an arcade, you have to, you know, ask mom or dad for quarters. Now I could just go in and say, you know what, I'm an adult. I could stay here all day. <laughs> I could buy enough quarters to play this game all day and you can't little kid um, you're the toys r us kid that didn't want to grow up and then outlasted toys r us yeah, <laughs> I, yeah no one i haven't i i did not have a brick and mortar that failed so i'm i'm, I'm, I'm ahead there you're you're but, you're a step ahead of most of us well so so i actually do have, have a question i try to ask this to every guest because this this makes a lot uh, you know kind of led me into it what is your baseball origin story like how how did you where does where is square one for you with baseball? Well, I was always kind of a little tiny stat nerd. Uh, when I was when I was seven, uh, my grandfather got me uh, the 1985 baseball abstract of Bill James, and uh, the the first at the time the Elias baseball analyst. Uh, so I was always into that side of baseball, and I kind of figured out at a young age that I wasn't going to become a major league baseball player. Uh, I mean, I went to a high school that was big on lacrosse, so. So you basically made the baseball team if you showed up to play on the baseball team. <laughs> Sounds uh, like my but high yeah, <laughs> there wasn't. There's never been a big market for sidearm pictures that can throw seventy. <laughs> that that Bird. that's where my fastball pick. I don't. It's probably about fifty-five now since I haven't actually thrown a ball in forever. So I I got into that and 
during the baseball strike, I got into Usenet. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Usenet uh, yeah. news groups. Uh, usually, when I when I tell people the story, they just their eyes glaze. They're like, "What is the Usenet?" Uh, but news groups were kind of where the the young baseball internet saver metric nerd crowd hung out in the mid nineties. It was, I mean, I was there. Uh, uh, people like Christina Carl and Vorish McCracken and Sean Foreman, uh, Clay Davenport, Keith Law. Every all, a lot of the early you know stat guys that you might remember are were we all came from that kind of place where you know it was sort of like. Twitter-ish, maybe a proto-Twitter, and sure. where we were mean to AOL and web TV users. That was a <laughs> that was a that was a big driving force. Was 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 being mean to people who had uh, their internet as a television. Uh, so and it grew from there. I got involved in the community. I was still fairly young at that point. I was uh, 16 in 1994. So uh, Dave Cameron, who was also one of them, uh, him and I were were uh, the two young guys at the time. We're not anymore, of course. Uh, and then you know, Moneyball came, and we all kind of became respectable and employable which is nice and a, <laughs> a pleasant surprise uh and that and you know things just kind of happen one one thing at a time i guess did now with with the uh you know the moneyball era you know like you talked about it and things like that so you really did see like a like a shift in, in the culture you know uh, when that when that book came out like was it like immediate like holy crud like we got to get these guys or was it more of a gradual gradual thing it was fairly quick. I mean, baseball was always going to have kind of a slow shift to a more analytically focused um, management style. But Moneyball really kind of got it into the public consciousness and kind of accelerated the process a bit, uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, we all joked that we should send uh, Michael Lewis, you know, like a piece of our salary. <laughs> we don't actually do it. It's not legally binding, Michael Lewis, if you happen to be hearing this, but that, if, that's kind if of... If Michael happens. Lewis listens to this show, then, then yes. <laughs> I'll send him a piece of my salary. Yeah, I'll send him a piece of mine. The uh, uh, do you do you have trouble keeping up with it, like with everything sometimes like you know because you're you have the zips you know projections and things like that like do you do you have trouble like keeping up with what is the next thing like is, do you see something like that happening in the near future? I I, I haven't had trouble. I, I tend to know what's going on analytically obviously teams don't like to directly tell you what's going on but i know enough people to you know kind of get a a feel of it uh i mean i i do a lot of work behind the scenes you know studying things there's i i have thousands of spreadsheets from different things i've looked at it's 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 kind of sad and they're all named poorly so i can never find one a second time uh <laughs> I, I i think probably the biggest difference is i don't know all the people anymore in, okay. in, in the year 2000, I would have known probably about 80% of the people who did this kind of stuff. Right. And now there are people, I, I don't know them personally, and that's, that's kind of weird. And for, for some of the people, especially the younger people, who I didn't really you know, work with in like, the sabermetric community, I, they, they see me kind of as a journalist more than as an analytics guy sometimes. Uh, because I'm better known for that, I guess, relatively speaking. Uh, so, so it is different. I mean, obviously, you you want the field to grow long enough so that you don't have everybody know each other because that doesn't really bode right. well for opportunities for people if everyone's kind of palling around. Uh, but that's that's probably the biggest change for me personally. Also, the arguments are less dumb. 
I don't have to argue anymore that Joe Carter shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. This was an actual thing that people had to argue in 1997. Oh, so can I, can I ask you, because this is something I've, I'm curious about. How do you respond? Because this is one I, I wouldn't consider myself. Jim is much more of an analytics person, and I'm really into analytics, but... Um, you know, I find myself sometimes with the classic like father-son argument over baseball. Like, uh, do you, how do you respond to the older school folks who tell you that analytics like take the soul out of the the feel out of the game? Is is there a real response to that? How do you how do you deal with that line of thinking? Uh, it's hard. It's always hard because once if someone's determined not to like something. There's really no way you can convince them to like it. Right. There, there's just a basic wall there. What I try to urge people is to think about other things in their life and how many things are ruined by understanding it. I mean, does anybody like look at a sunset like on a beautiful day? What is that cat doing? Sorry, I have a cat in the garbage. <laughs> no, you're you're um, good. You're good. Nobody nobody has been like walking in on the beach in a sunset. No one no one's ever said, you know, the sunset is stupid because I know <laughs> that that the earth goes around the sun. Nobody has said that ever. No one has said, "Oh, I don't even look at the sky because you know those twinkling lights, those are stars. They're balls of of gaseous <laughs> chunks." Nobody uh nobody says that. I mean, they don't say you know, like the they may be giants song everybody knows that the sun is a massive incandescent gas but nobody cares it's it's still fine it's okay to understand better how baseball works it's okay to understand how your food works or your car works uh if you've ever seen like serious i'm not a serious car guy but you see the serious car guys they want to learn everything about how their engines work and their car works and they don't say it's not fun working on cars now that i know how a transmission works <laughs> it's I, but for some reason, why would why would it be different with baseball? I mean, it's cool to know how things work, and that's just the way I am. Yeah, I heard a, a good one a few years back that I've I've always repeated over and over again. It's the dumbest person you're going to know is the guy that thinks he knows everything because he just they just won't open up to try to learn anything more. I mean, I, I, it's back and forth too with the analytical versus the old school people too. It's it's sometimes I just do like a stat about RBIs and then the analytical people get mad at me and it's like it's just fun with numbers. It's cool to have fun with all the numbers, isn't it? Let's. Just stay open-minded on everything. I, I, I think the guy who knows everything might be the second dumbest guy. Because I think the dumbest guy I ever interacted with, this was like about 1999. Oh, and is... I was dealing with someone who was arguing on the level that Mookie Wilson should be in the Hall of Fame and that Dave Winfield should not be. <laughs> so I'm, ar I'm having to argue why Dave Winfield is a lot better than Mookie Wilson and I'm just thinking to myself, like, is this my life? What am I doing with it? <laughs> I'm assuming one of those guys didn't, that guy didn't grow up in the Bronx, right? He probably grew up on the other end of New York. Uh, the thing is, he was a Chicago guy. It's uh -huh. like, why are you even, Yeah. I mean, I, if, you, if, you, if you did like, you know, a, a GIS map of where Mookie Wilson fans are, it's not like it's going to be scattered all over the United States. <laughs> it's a, a very limited Mookie Wilson fandom. Right. And I mean, like, like not, the not a national brand like where his relatives live. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of national appeal, you know, M M Mookie Wilson. Um, it's, it's not even the best Mookie anymore. He's, he's not, not even close. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, so. What? I would take Mookie Blaylock over him. Still. I, would, I don't even know anything about basketball. You took the words out of my mouth right there. I would. I would take. There's two other Mookies and two other sports. I would take. 
<laughs> and Mookie Wilson wasn't bad. But no, I mean, I get I it. I mean, he's in that same. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't bad, but I mean, he's not better than Dave Whitfield. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. So your your biggest, um, you, you, one of your trademarks is, is the Zips projection system, um, which uh, I just, can you, a lot of our, some of our listeners, most of the folks listening to this already know who you are and already know what Zips is. For the folks who don't, what's the easiest way that someone could understand what Zips is? Uh let me it's always a tough question because i can you know wax about it for you know two hours right uh, on, on its very core i mean zips is a computer-based projection system it's essentially trying to guess through data and advanced data and different ways of normalizing things it tries to guess where a player is and then by comparing that player to large groups of similar players in history try to guess where that player is going i mean that's the basic uh, basics of it if you've ever seen like a hurricane forecast they actually work under similar kind of concepts you have like the little the little hurricane where you know where the hurricane is and you have like that cone that goes out to where the hurricane might be going based on the data the historical trends for hurricanes in that area how they react to low pressure systems and you get that you know the cone of ignorance they call it yes and it's, it's pretty much the same concept uh and in some ways you know projecting players is easier than a hurricane because baseball is a very closed system uh if if i told you like what's gonna be the biggest news story a year from now that is way harder to predict than say will mookie betts be a good player next year i mean that's right that's pretty it's a much easier question well especially these days <laughs> with the way the headlines go <laughs> um so, so, so is Mookie is Mookie Betts gonna be a good player next year? Breaking story, he is. Wow. No oh man. And but, but the what, year after, the year after that, he will be wearing the uniform of one of the thirty major league baseball teams. Wow. Well, not the Marlins, so one of the twenty nine. Yeah. Twenty nine. Yeah. <laughs> you, you I, I, can we rule out the Orioles too? We'll, we'll say, we'll, we'll, we'll systematically, like, we'll, we'll say it's probably like ten teams he'll probably be wearing a uniform for. Probably, but I don't, I don't, I don't like to rule out anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't even say there's a hundred percent chance that we actually exist, because you know, there's, there's the philosophical, you know, thought exercise that if it's ever possible to simulate the universe, then it's more likely we live in one of the simulations than in the one reality. So. Uh Wow, Jim! I think that's our first uh, going from Mookie Betts to uh, universal discussions on this show's history. That's for sure. And I, I tell you, I mean, as goes for simulations, go so far. I mean, I kind of grade this simulation that I'm part of right now on a scale of ten, probably about a five. Yeah, I mean, it could be a lot better. There's a lot of things that could go much better, right? So that's true. I mean, we still got baseball, but you know. yes, we do have baseball. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, Dan, when, when we're, uh, so you're at, you're at Fangraphs, obviously you were at ESPN before, um, you, what are, what are some other places that you, that you've been along, along the way, you know? Well, I, uh, after college, I worked for myself. I did a lot of currency trading. Uh, I, I did day trading back when it was still an actual thing before the rest of algorithmic <laughs> trading kind of yep. ruined that, uh, you, I see some nodding, so I, so I guess <laughs> there's some knowledge of this. You, that, yeah. that, that stuff doesn't work anymore. Uh, no. no. Yeah, because, you know, once you get the small order system, well, I don't want to get into the whole thing about how that yeah, works. Right. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I, I blogged for Baseball Think Factory uh, in, in the early 2000s. That's kind of where I got my first taste of 
of blogging on the internet. Uh, I did a lot of consulting. Uh, I, got, I made a pretty good income at that in those days uh, from about 2002. And then obviously once I worked with ESPN, I had to dial that back to only data. I can't, I can't offer an opinion and also be a journalist because that's kind of right. – I don't want to get in the Jessica Mendoza zone, let's just say, yeah. uh, where yeah. I'm broadcasting and offering opinions to a team. Uh, yeah. Data is one thing, but you can't say you should do this or I don't think that's a good idea when you're covering a team. Uh, so I've been writing since then. I've, I've been, you know, a full-time writer since 2009, essentially. Uh, and I, I, I don't have a complaint. I mean, the journalism landscape isn't great, but I'm still, you know, employable at the moment, which is nice. Always so a plus. I, always a plus. Yeah, it's always a plus. Uh, so, so I, 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 I can't complain. Yeah. Do you do any freelance journalism on top of everything? Are you cool where everything's at at Pangraphs and everything's just rocking and rolling? Well, when uh, when I worked when I worked for ESPN, they didn't really like me doing things elsewhere. I'd have to get permission to do like th- things with Fangraphs, and they never minded that I did projections at Fangraphs because it's not like they really house projections. It's ESPN is not really a data site in the same way that Fangraphs is. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I could theoretically do a couple pieces here and there for elsewhere, but I'm pretty much focused to to Fangraphs full time. Right, and and so when do you find? I find a lot of time like with your writing in particular, like how do you balance trying to tell a story and also not end up just reciting statistics? Like how do how do you balance those two things? When you I, I I I think the general uh, approach is that I'm. I'm making an argument, essentially. Uh, hopefully a uh, an intellectually honest one, but I'm making an argument at its core. And it's something I tell young writers because I do talk to a lot of people who ask me for advice, and I say, you want to have, for, for the, at least to be the kind of writer I am, I'm not a reporter, is you want to have an opinion. You want to have something that you're offering a reader, uh, you know, something they didn't think about or something that they might disagree with, and you're supposed to, you know, put your best facts behind your case. Uh, you'll find I very rarely write like straight up sabermetrics in a way. It's always, for instance, uh, I was talking last year about modeling home runs based on uh, statcast data and not knowing home runs for a picture at all. But it wasn't really an article about that. It was an article about Andrew Kasher being traded to the Red Sox. It was just something that was supporting the story. Right. Uh, okay. If you if you have me writing just you know technical pieces. Then it becomes kind of like work. And then I kind of get bored losing interest. <laughs> and then I don't do my job. And then my boss will yell at me like, why aren't you writing on anything? I'm like, I don't want to. Uh, so there's always some kind of, when, when I write at least, I mean, everybody's different. But when I write, it's usually in the service of some kind of argument, some bit of baseball that's interesting to me in some way and that we can get some kind of, some insight, hopefully, uh, about the issue, uh, and that's just—that's a lot of that. I, I learned at ESPN is to be a writer who has an interesting skill set, not a numbers guy who can write. That's great advice because I mean, for how many people are working on doing blogs or trying to crack the industry, you know, not via going to college and then doing internships or something like that. There's a lot of people that are trying to go in the other direction, uh, and to gather the attention of people i mean you really gotta you gotta separate yourself and if you're just gonna be straight talking the points i mean beat writers have to go to school so i i mean and and most of them really struggle with their jobs they really don't seem like they're the 
they're baseball happy, right? But uh, for doing something like you do, where you get to write about anything to bring that to bring a story to life in the manner that you do, but still be able to bring that side that people like me love the most is the numbers part, but you make it interesting at the same time where, you know, you could be just one in a thousand guys doing it, but that would put you where probably unemployed. Right. So, um, yeah, that's great advice for people. That's good. Do you- yeah. That, that, that's what I strive because I mean, a lot of people who are into numbers, they get into it with the idea of working for a team full time, and they may not pay as much attention to the writing as they could. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, what I always, what I always say is, when someone asks me, is, if I wanted to go that career path, I could. I'm not particularly interested in that career path. I mean, I like selling data. That's fine, but it's data that I have anyway, and I'm hitting a button and sending off a, 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 a CSV file to somebody. Uh, that, that, that's fine. Um, but with writing, I consider myself a writer first. Still, that's that's what I classify myself as on my on my IRS form. Right, um, <laughs> it's, it's I, what I, the I, government knows. Yeah, for a while I was trolling the government, and I I was actually just putting weird p- occupations on my tax return to see if they'd say anything. <laughs> Probably not the smartest idea. Uh, we're auditing, uh, you know, da- uh, Dan Zimborski, uh, turtle magician. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I put like professional baseball watcher guy on one of my tax returns as my occupation. <laughs> I, I I think in the end they're they're okay as long as you're giving them their money. They don't really right. just, just pay your taxes. They're yeah, professional I, baseball watcher guy. Yeah, I, I I I should I should watch my tendency to troll because that is that is probably one of in some instances it's a good it's a good uh, personality flaw because then you get into interesting arguments and you ask them uncomfortable questions sometimes but in a lot of times it's a bad way because you're just trying to annoy people which i i do do sometimes no uh, not you but, <laughs> but what i what, what i was going on uh, about taking the writing first what i tell people the serial is the prize the writing is not what i'm doing to get a job in baseball the writing is what i'm doing because i want to be a writer uh right. so so I actually stole that from a Simpsons episode, but it was after uh, the season that people actually watched. So nobody's caught. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that one. <laughs> so so I, we're gonna we're gonna go to a break here in a second. But I just I want to ask you one question before we go there because I just found out Jim and I just found something out about each other while we were uh, in the pre-show ramble here. Uh, are you a Universal DH guy? I'm actually fairly DH agnostic. I like the game both with and without it. I grew up in a, in a in being able to watch a lot of baseball. Uh, in, in in Baltimore, we got uh, I I mean we had home team sports for the Orioles, but we we had TBS obviously for the Braves like everyone did. Uh, we got WGN for the Cubs. We got WWOR for the Mets. So I got used to watching a lot of DH and non DH uh, games. And since I'm not old enough uh, to remember a pre DH era. Uh, I, I don't have really strong feelings in that way. Now, personally, I think it's an, an inevitability, right? Uh, because essentially everybody in the world, except for the National League and NL-only teams in the upper minors, don't have the DH. And I think that interleague play was almost one of the things that doomed the designated hitter because you had this weird situation where the American League, <clears throat> excuse me. They have they actually employ DHs on their roster full time, 
But a National League team can't really do that because the interleague there's not enough interleague games. It's right. it's scattered. So the American League gets to have their employed DH who they intentionally employed, while the NL teams when they use a DH has just some guy who is it starter. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, a, it's yeah. like a rest position. So I think that interleague play when it was daily in in, in instead of that, that 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 weird chunk in the middle of the season twice. I think once it became a daily thing that that was going to be the the final straw that would eventually break the uh, picture hitting's back. That oh, was a bad analogy. No, no, no. You're you're good. You're good. Dude. I was like, I was getting halfway through. And I thought like, what's the camel in this? <laughs> uh, I'll just keep Matt, talking until I figure it out. But I never quite did. If Sakrinky ends up on the IL with a back injury this year, I'm telling you, Dan, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yes, right. I, I, lo- I love Zach Greinke because he's the most honest player in baseball. He yep. will tell you anything very, very bluntly. Because, yep. you know, when players, I don't know why, they, they shouldn't feel guilty about about making big money uh, uh, and getting their, you know, $200 million contracts. Players shouldn't feel guilty about that because they, they got through a gauntlet to get there. It would just stay in the owner's pocket if they didn't get it. Right. And, but, they, but they always feel they had to say, well, I wanted to move here because the schools are great. Yeah. And <laughs> there's a winning atmosphere. Oh. Right. And. You know, Greinke, of course, said that I'm going to go where they give me the most money. I was like, that, that's what most of them are doing. Right. Just, just admit it. It's okay to admit it. Just, yeah. we, just we, we all work yeah. for a living. That's right. That's right. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to uh, continue to hang with uh, Dan Samborski. We'll be right back. All right, well, uh, and we're back. Uh, so, Dan, uh, one thing we uh, kind of wanted to uh, – I wanted to – I know Jim and I wanted to talk to you about was you are uh, – you're uh, a Hall of Fame voter next year, right, or the year after? Oh, no, I, I have some years to go. Uh, you, you have some have years to, to you go. Have, you have to be in the Baseball Writers Association for 10 years. Okay, now uh, what's the process to become part of that – association a, a uh, lot of people don't understand that well see i didn't even do a good job becoming because i could have actually joined like in 2009 instead of 2016 <laughs> before the 2016 season but i guess i wasn't self-confident enough because i kind of had this worry that if i asked to be a member and i was turned down that it would crush me so <laughs> i was kind of a, a big wimp about the whole thing uh and at, at the time like 2009 might have been hard because that was when they were first allowing internet people into the writers association because the old school writers were very very against it uh now of course if they didn't allow internet people there'd be like 30 people wow. left in the in the, in the writers right association. right yeah uh i mean that the year before they got in like rob nyer and keith law were turned down because you know tracy ringlesby said they, that they don't have to be at the stadium Wow! Yeah, Rob's and, coming on the show later th- later this month. I'll have to a- we'll have to ask him about that. <laughs> yeah, he 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 probably won't have a good opinion about that. But <laughs> but then you know, Rob initially got in in two thousand nine, and and Christina Carl and Keith Law that year, and then and then once uh, Derek Gould became uh, the the president of the Baseball Writers Association, some years later, uh, a lot of presidents pushed these things forward. But I think Derek probably did the most to try to make you know internet writers part of the thing. Uh, nice. I mean, not just all internet writers. I mean, people who did it full time, uh, and he also made it. He also helped make it so that MLB.com writers could also, because they couldn't be members until 2016 either. 
So oh. a lot of people got in in 2016. There were like 70 people who got in that year. Now, uh, now do you think that that is kind of spurning... Uh, this is just a question off the top of my head. I haven't looked at the trends on this or anything like that. Do you think that's spurning a little bit more of the what I would call the more contemporary voting outlook where guys like, you know, the, the PED stuff isn't necessarily driving things as much, the conversation as much? Or like, how do you how, how do you think that's shifting the voting demographic? You, you are definitely getting a younger crowd. There are a lot more people like me in, in, in the Writers Association than there were 10 years ago, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see kind of the turnover because uh, if, if I'm looking like at, at, the, at the badge list for, not for 2020, but for 2019, there's, there's, the badges go up to 747. Mm-hmm. And there's the actual, it's actually a minority of writers now that are active members that could vote for the Hall of Fame. Uh, with, despite 747 active members, the the people who became eligible this year had have badges in the mid 300s. Uh, you know, people like Sean Foreman, Andy McCullough, uh, Brian McPherson, those guys. So, oh. so actually, more than half of the Writers Association now does not have enough service time to vote for the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think you can see the shift because the award voting, you could say, has modernized quicker than the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, because there's no 10-year requirement for voting in the year-end awards. Uh, so if you don't have I, enough service time, can they send you down to AAA to work on your defense? <laughs> I, I think they send you to like a smaller chapter because <laughs> I'm because I'm in the Cincinnati chapter, and there are like 12 active people there. Oh, um, yeah. If, if you're in like the Cincinnati press box, you can pretty much sit wherever you want. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, most of them sit in the sec- would sit in the second row. I, I like to sit in the front row. Uh, the others mostly sit in the second row because there's less risk to their lap stops getting hit by a baseball. Yeah. But I figure, I'm in the press box. Why can't, why, I want the good seat. I want to be in the front row. Right. Get another laptop. Yeah, I can always get another laptop. Uh, I actually, if I had been there one one day when uh, Scott Schebler hit a foul ball, I probably would have destroyed my laptop because there's a there's a mark on the wall right behind where I sit. So. Oh, wow. Uh, and unfortunately, they're moving us down the third baseline this year, which is which is just sad. Yeah, that's lame. So but they're, it's very they're they're kind of taunting us in a way because they're naming the 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 Bourbon Club that they're replacing us with. They're naming it the Press Box, and it's like, <laughs> hey, what's so mean? That's so what's so once the BBWA says, okay, what you do is valid to be a member. And now you've got to be that member and active for 10 years. Uh, what does that really entail? Can you drop off, say, from Fangraphs, start your own blog, have a thousand followers that are hitting your, your site, and that, that's enough? Or, do you, I mean, what's their qualifications at that? Because we see people that are voting on the Hall of Fame today that are like hockey beat writers in Tampa Bay and stuff. I mean, how how does it uh, once you've applied and you've been accepted? How do you maintain it? Well, well, one of the problems is that once you become ten years, you become kind of a lifetime member. Oh. Uh, so that's why you would see a lot of people who like do political cartoons and wrote about baseball in 1968 still having a Hall of Fame vote. They've actually we've actually tightened up some of those requirements for the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, it's one of the few that the Hall of Fame has been cooperative with us about. Because we asked the Hall of Fame to lift the, we, I mean, we officially asked the Hall of Fame to lift the ten-player limit. We asked the Hall of Fame to make it a rule that all ballots had to be 
public. And the Hall of Fame said, no, we're not going to do that. There was actually a vote at the winter meetings a few years ago to, on the transparency issue. And the motion carried like 90 to 9 of the people who were at the winter meetings. And then some of those nine people went behind our backs to the Hall of Fame. And then they whined about it to the Hall of Fame. Like, people see our votes. <laughs> and then the Hall of Fame took their side. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of a touchy subject. Uh, now, if you don't have 10 years, you do have to stay full-time employed for uh, an outlet that's uh, credentialed to cover baseball's gem events, the World Series and the All-Star Game. Fangraphs is, is, is uh, uh, credentialed for that. Uh, we have, uh, officially, we still have eight writers in the Baseball Writers Association, uh, but we, we, Travis Sarchik moved to The Athletic, Jeff Sullivan works for the Rays, uh, and Carson Sicily works for the Jays, so we're kind of down to five now. Uh, but as if 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 I left Fangraphs and say I didn't have a job, they would put me as at large for like a year or two. But eventually they would say, "Hey, you have to be employed, and make it. a full time salary." That's kind of the qualification that's still there. Is that you do have to? It does have to be like your primary living. Okay, so that, they're still somewhat lenient because I know the journalism where it's at now. I mean, it can be pretty rough, right? So yeah. holding down a, a gig in a credentialed area, it's got to be not as easy as it was 10 15 years ago so okay. yeah look looking at the list there's like there are uh 45 people who are listed as at large uh and i see a lot of them are between jobs uh right yeah uh like dave brown anthony mccarran uh, bob dutton Johnny Carey, we won't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely between jobs. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole thing. Yeah. That, that's a whole other so, episode. Let's go. I, I want to go back to the. I'm not, I know the vote. I remember the vote happening amongst y'all about saying, okay, do we want to make our ballots public? And, and you guys were like, yes. And then it came out on Twitter and everybody's like, son of a God, yeah, we're going to get it. And then like it came rolling around at that time. And most of us had heard that it wasn't going to happen. But the people that had fell off and then waiting for it to happen when the vote was coming out was like, wait a minute, I thought they voted on this. It was like, well, not the Hall of Fame. Just a few, uh, quite a few of the writers decided to do it. So when it comes to that, I'm assuming you're one of the ones that were about being on the public side. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, being a journalist, it's it's kind of a public advocacy job, and I, they, they, they the writers vote essentially because they were the most obvious group to vote in you know the 1930s because yes. the the spread of knowledge between a writer and like the average public would be very different in 1930 than it is now, and I think that yeah we want to get it right and each our vote should be our own opinion, but I do think it's important to to be transparent with the public because this isn't like a federal election. I don't see voting for the hall of fame as a right. I see it as an expert panel. And I think that to be part of an expert panel, you have to be transparent to the people who it matters to the results. And I think you also have to be knowledgeable. And that of course is tricky and gets me in a lot of fights with people. Uh, but I think if you want to be an expert and you want to be a journalist, I don't know how you can't be transparent because that's what journalism is. Do you, do you... Uh, I don't know how you can be a journalist and say, I don't want people to know how I vote. It's like, then you, you shouldn't be voting. 
how, how do you how do you feel about and you know this is I don't have, I have a lot of things that kind of get my goat about in general about the Hall of Fame voting process but one of the things in particular was the the single issue I call them single issue voters uh, folks who, who do just just check the one box you know I, I understand not voting for all 10 uh, voters to all you know filling all 10 boxes every year but do you feel any there is a certain inherent responsibility to pick more than one or do you can you see a valid argument for just picking one person on the on the on the ballot it, it's tricky what I think it comes down to is if a person truly believes that there's only one player eligible I I personally think that's kind of dumb. But I don't think it's 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 my job to tell them, hey, you're too dumb to vote. That's that, right. that's 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 beyond my job. But when someone says I'm only voting for Jeter this year, even though I think other guys are qualified, but I don't want Jeter to have to stand up there with somebody. Yeah. That I think is very very different. That I think, you know, goes on the lines of of of, of just being unethical. Personally, I don't think that Anthony Reber should have been allowed to vote ever again in any uh, baseball writer association uh, because once you're once you're doing it for that you're purposely not honoring people to make the honor for your favorite better that is so how do you yeah. so in that do you do you have that maybe not that same because I know he was more open about the fact that like I'm doing this to separate Jeter from everybody else but like I, I look at a guy like say Dan Shaughnessy who is now two years in a row gone with just Rivera and just Jeter. Um, you know, that's, that's a little bit more of what I was, what I was getting at. Like, how do you, how do you feel about something like that? Cause as opposed to like, they just feel this way about it without much of a defense. I don't know. I, I think that's what Shaughnessy actually thinks. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's hard to say because it's, it's kind of weird. Cause then what's the qualification for voting for the hall of fame? Dan Zaborski thinks you're smart. That, that's kind of really hard to put in a bright line. I mean, right. I, can see I, I wouldn't mind if they made me, you know, the emperor of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and I declared what would be so. But that's not the situation. I think in the end, I could be mad, but I can live with someone just being honestly terrible. <laughs> if you're going to be terrible, be honest about it. Don't be yeah. cynically terrible. Right, right. I and just I, think... It's got to stay where the importance of voting has to not be about the voter themselves. And that's what I think that that frustrates me when I see one person vote and they don't give me a reason. It makes me think that it's about themselves. It isn't about the, the player that's on that ballot or the fans that watched him, which I believe are the two most important parts about the Hall of Fame. I think that's what drives the crowd to go. It's who's in it and who's willing to see it. Uh, not the voter, but... So, Shaughnessy just seems like the kind of guy that doesn't want to. The attention seems like it has to be on him to me. I don't think Probably he'll. I don't think. Up. I don't think he listens to this. So I'm just going. Shaughnessy's a troll. He, he's. I think he's just trolling everybody with these votes. He's not going to listen to this. But so I, I feel like I don't have any uh, journalistic objectivity. Uh, you know, to to not say that. Um, That's okay. I mean, I will refer to him as curly-haired boyfriend. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. so Dan, I, I, have a, I have a question for you, and, and this is something I've always wrestled with with the hall, and and I feel like as as a future voter, maybe you you might be better qualified to answer this question. Do, do you view the hall in its current state as 
more of is it obligated to be more of a uh, sort of a uh, a a place where the absolute greatest the goal is to have the greatest that ever played in one house or is it is the goal of the hall to be more of a time capsule of the game and its evolution or uh, you know particular eras it's always hard to because you're getting into like you know a philosophical question, I I tend to think that baseball's inductees should be consistent with the past because you're connecting the past with the present, and the average Hall of Famer is not, you know, is not Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Ty Cobb. That's not the a- average Hall of Famer. The average Hall of Famer is someone like Goose Goslin, and so I want the Goose Goslins of the current era to be able to connect with Goose Goslin, because what I what I what I what I say to people, one of my arguments when Mike Mussina couldn't make the hall, I said, it's not just about honoring Mike Mussina. You're not just honoring Mike Mussina by being part of a group with Bob Feller. You're also honoring Bob Feller by being connected with Mike Mussina. It's not just about making people stack up against the past. It's about making the past and the present, you know, is almost like one story. Uh, so I do think that there should be a general consistent level of what a Hall of Famer is. Maybe the right answer is a smaller Hall of Fame. Maybe it's a larger one. But I do think that that consistency is important because that's how you kind of tie the the legends together, so to speak. And when we try to tie that past to the future, um, a little bit that gets lost in there, I think, with people is... uh, what do you do with the new roles in the game, right? Relief pitchers weren't an issue in 1935, 1948. I mean, it was just, we didn't get there until uh, Hoyt Wilhelm, right? But, I mean, even he spent a bunch of time as a starter before he ended up becoming a reliever and getting into the Hall of Fame. Now we just have these specialists that are hanging out there. How do we bring them in with that history not being there? It, it's tricky it? because... Because, I mean, yeah, we, we do have to create history to some extent. Uh, that's, I mean, that's one reason we look at numbers is it's, it's easier to justify a more situational type of player when we can point them and say, hey, he caused this team to win as many baseball games as this guy did. Uh, like, like, like David Ortiz in a few years, he, he'll get in, and Edgar Martinez already. Uh, yeah, they didn't play defense, but we do have ways of saying this is how many games they won for their team. Uh, I mean, that's all these measurements are. And you can say, well, you know, this guy, you know, he helped his teams win 60 games they wouldn't have otherwise. And so did this guy in history. And you can kind of do that. Uh, you wouldn't really get that with, like, you know, a pinch hitter. You wouldn't have a pinch hitter in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, that would be kind of weird. Right. Do you feel like, you know, going along with that, like connecting the history and things like that, you know, I, I had somebody propose to me, like, at one point we were talking about the Hall of Fame. And they, you know, because I think it was it was the year that Jack Morris, the Veterans Committee, put in Jack Morris, which I I, I thought was not a wise induction. Yeah, um, I have feelings about that. Um, uh, but, I, have, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> so so my que- so my question is like he proposed. He's like, well, look look, man, like why don't you just put like a a, a statistical cutoff? Like if you're if you're you know guys like Jack Morris and you know, even guys like Suter and stuff like that, like as their performances become sort of um, antiquated, it's not the right word I'm looking for, but so many people begin to pass them. Like the, the uh, outlier becomes the standard, so to speak. Um, 
do you do you, you don't take them out but do you put them in another like hall like hey these guys were good but maybe not as much anymore like how do you how do you feel about like stuff like that like as it progresses i i, I don't think it's necessary to do that kind of thing because the thing is our 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 measurements of like how good a player was over his career that also has you know a, a philosophical basis to it because you know career value peak value those are different uh and while while we think well we can say that you know Mike Mussina is a ton better than Jack Morris based on these stats there's there's some give and take I mean we don't even have agreement on war uh like what what should it True. be <laughs> fit base should it be ERA based with defense is it looking back is it looking forward and I I don't think I think you get in, uh, more trouble with with thresholds I think I think a knowledgeable uh, voter base who understands the issues can kind of make separate these guys. They don't need, if we're truly an expert panel, we don't need a threshold to say this guy's in, this guy's out. Uh, and there are, you know, non-baseball or at least non-performance-based things that are, are part of, you know, the Hall of Fame qualification process. Uh, we talk about the morals clause. Uh, I, I, I don't really care about, you know, out of baseball stuff, I think textually you look at the history of that rule from the start, and it mostly meant baseball character in a way, like you know someone cheating on the field. And you do get the PEDs, and I'm a rule-based guy. And I, if Manny Ramirez was on the fence for me, he's not; he's easily over the threshold. But if Manny Ramirez is on the fence for me, I think it's fair that that could be a tiebreaker that he was found. He did. He he did test positive for performance enhancing drugs against the rules of baseball, and I think that's what the morals question about baseball is designed to address. Uh, so if someone says, "I I think Manny's a borderline guy, but he cheated and he's out," or or the same with uh, Rafael Palmero, who also was actually found testing positive, then then I can see that, and it's not really a statistical case at that point. So you're not you're not uh, gauging like you know I know some folks are right now are wrestling with like. Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens and and folks who who don't necessarily if you're talking about like say the morals clause and then of course the people who make the same arguments for Pete Rose and, and things like that you know how do you, although Rose is much murkier uh, how do you how do you do you have any trouble reconciling with that with the out of, completely out of baseball but generally like really you know with Schilling you know fairly despicable stuff. Yeah, Schilling, uh, let's just, man. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would have no, he'll be off the ballot one way or the other before I vote. Right. But, but I would absolutely vote for him. I think that I'm, I'm an expert at judging baseball. And I think I, you could say I have some expertise, I think, qualifications in advertising, you know, a player's ethics on the field and in the context of baseball. I think you can make that case. I don't think you can make the case that I'm qualified to, rate someone as a person and i i don't like when we're getting off i mean where it's about honoring kurt schilling's baseball career and i have no problem separating his baseball career for his you know fairly despicable things he said after it right uh i i think that 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 becomes a whole just a whole opens up a whole just pandora's box of problems uh i know some people say that it should be disqualifying but i don't think it is and as despicable as I am, I think that writers sometimes are sensitive very overmuch about the part that is about them. Right. Uh, it seems they the, there's more talk about uh, Kurt Schilling being against you know transgender stuff. There's less talk about that than about 
Kurt Schilling making a tasteless joke about hanging journalists. And yeah, that that's pretty tasteless. But, you know, lawyers have survived with people making kill all the lawyers jokes for, for 400 years. Right. And personally, if I was at the point where I couldn't be objective about Schilling as a baseball player and as a baseball contributor, if I couldn't be objective, if I couldn't didn't feel like I could do that, I would not vote in that ballot that year because I think that right. I'm having to put my feelings aside for, you know, the game of baseball. Sure. Is there is there like a line that could be crossed though on that not part of baseball, but you've reached a line that affects the game as you're no longer a good ambassador for it? I always see the the Darren Sharper from the NFL the the take there right that everybody always brings up is that okay Darren Sharper had the rape and drugging of of ladies to do rape issue that he had but he also had a hall of fame career if you separate and say okay well his issue that he had off the field had nothing to do with football do you actually vote for him and that always comes up is that okay where do you draw the line of off the field actually affects who they are i mean that, so that, in the case that, of like roger clemens with minnie mccready right is that line a little bit too far or was there just not enough evidence for say a voter it doesn't matter who but you know uh, where do we get to a point where off the field is enough to say no? It uh, it, it is a tricky question. Uh, I think that there's a line that Clemens could have passed uh, because one of the things about that kind of skeezy relationship is that a lot of it didn't really happen until McCready had moved to Nashville, uh, at least from what I've seen. Uh, but if it had happened, you know, you know, I don't know. I guess I haven't you know come across that had to deal with that line yet. Right, uh, right. I, I think it would have been easier if it had happened post career. I think post career I would have been more willing to because he's no longer really a part of a baseball community. Uh, I, I don't think it's over my line. I think it's over my line. Like I'd want to honor him personally. I would. I probably wouldn't attend his induction, or or anything. But I, I would still probably vote for him. Now, of course, you know someone who murders people while a player or something. That's right. I. That 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 is a tough one, right? I think in the end, I might actually still vote for that player, and as uncomfortable as it makes me feel, uh, I I think I still would have voted OJ for the Hall of Fame, as yeah. awkward as that makes me feel. I think in some level, it's not really about my comfort; it's about you know doing the task. Right, right. There's yeah, a, I, a higher there's duty. A there's a chance that if I couldn't do it. And I don't know if I could do it because I haven't I haven't faced up with that question that I probably wouldn't vote that year at all. Right. Yeah. You, you'd rather or, abstain. Or yeah. if you or if you did vote, you'd at least still do your best to explain it. Right. I think is is something that the rest of us would all appreciate. It's like okay, well, if you're not voting or voting for somebody, we'd love to hear why. Right. Yeah. So, I, I I I will always explain everything. I might. I, I tend to over-explain things. I'm I'm a chronic overshare on Twitter. Uh, people know about like all my my day-to-day failures in life because uh, I'm I'm pretty bad about everything about life except that's connected to my job. Uh, <laughs> I think we all feel that way sometimes. Uh, I, uh, I I joke that it's probably a good thing that I that I wasn't a voter last year or this year because there are more than ten players each year that I would have voted for, and that would have put both Mariana Rivera and Derek Jeter way down on my voting priority list. 
Right. Uh, Do you feel just, that way? Like, like if you found that many players, like you know Jeter's going to get in. You know Rivera's going to get in. Do, do, no one cares about unanimous anymore. Do, do you skip? Are you? Do you skip voting in that situation? I think there's an ethical argument for that. That's what Buster Olney has done because Buster was one of the people behind the scenes uh, who was pushing to have the ballot lifted, and he stopped voting because he couldn't make those decisions. Uh, I think in the end, my goal is to get the maximum number of deserving people into the Hall of Fame, actually into the Hall of Fame. And if I'm constrained by the Hall of Fame to only vote for 10 of the guys, I, I consider that kind of the Hall of Fame's fault, not mine, because I wanted to vote for everyone. Uh, but if I had voted, I would not have voted in the end for Jeter or Mariana Rivera. I would have explained it, of course. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have, uh, you know gone AWOL and not explained it like the guy who didn't vote for Jeter, because he should have explained it. Right. Uh, I, I, But then I probably wouldn't be allowed in New York again after I was the, <laughs> the one who denied Mariana Rivera, because I want him to be in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, I also want, it, I also want uh, Bobby Abreu to have a serious right. look at. I, I wanted in the past to see Kenny Lofton and Jim Edmonds. These are people Lofton's that should have been talked about. Um, uh, even if you don't think they're Hall of Famers, they were close enough that they should have been talked about, and right. they got no attention. I mean, Johan Santana uh, has, has, you know, ninety percent of Koufax's peak. Koufax is a better Hall of Famer than Santana, but is the difference of ten percent of their peak really should be the difference between someone who's considered an inner circle Hall of Famer and someone who gets five percented on the first ballot? Yeah. Gone. And the logjam and the limits is we're not even discussing these guys, and so now. We need, you know, the veteran committees to clean up this mess. But the, the veteran committees, as currently designed, aren't going to clean up the mess because a lot of them are the some of the writers who made the mess in the first place. Right. Uh, you have ex-players who are never really objective about it. I mean, you could talk about, you know, everybody who Frankie Frisch ever met in his life is in the Hall of Fame. Right. <laughs> uh, players are not objective about these things. Harold and, Bain, I mean, the Harold Baines induction. Yeah, uh, it was easier to get grumpy about Jack Morris because right. with, with Jack Morris, he had the whole Jennifer Frey thing mm. uh, uh, back in the 80s, which is despicable. I would never even talk to Jack Morris because he never apologized for that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that whole... I've only heard about it. I, I know very little about it. Yeah, well, I don't well, know. For, well, for, well, for the listeners, uh, there was a young reporter. Uh, I think it was she was with the Free Press uh, named Jennifer Frey. Uh, who she was one of the earliest women who was who was in the uh, the locker room interviewing players, and she tried to get a quote from Jack Morris, and he said, "I don't talk to women when I'm naked unless I'm on top of them, in front of everybody Oof. in in the like That's... the whole press corps saw it." Uh, Dave Hogg, who you might see on Twitter, uh, was Damn. there at the time, I believe, and everyone saw it, which is horrified. And I mean, he. I mean, humiliate her in front of her peers like that. It was a, just a cruel thing to do to someone. Uh, Bo Schembechler, who was the president of the Tigers at the time, he essentially doubled down on Jack Morris. Well, sh sh women shouldn't be there. And <sighs> Jack Morris never apologized. Okay. Uh, and Frey, she had she had problems uh, later in life. Uh, it was something that really hit her hard. I mean, she she had a, a, a an alcohol problem. She died uh, some years ago. Yeah. Uh, she was only in her 40s, I think, or 50s. Yeah. Uh, so with Jack Morris, it, it was e it's easy psychologically for me to get mad at Jack Morris being right. inducted because I don't think he's good enough either. I think 
I think Kevin Apier is should be in the hall before Morris should be. Right. Uh, in a, or you know, you like act- the guys you mentioned, like Santana and and uh, and I mean Lofton to me is so egregious. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that Morris is about the fourth best Tiger not in the Hall of Fame from that era. <laughs> I put Tana- I put Tanana first. I I put in uh, Chet Lemon before Jack Morris, and obviously I put Whitaker in before. Oh Morris. yeah, definitely Whitaker. Yeah. yeah. So 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 oh, it was easy. It. To, to be grumpy about Morris getting in the hall, it was harder to get to get mad about Harold Baines, even though it's ridiculous that he was in. <laughs> I mean, it's like waking up one day, you know, like finally, like like Justin Upton's in the Hall of Fame or Paul O'Neill's in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. I mean, yeah, they're, they're they're fine guys, and Harold Baines is a good dude. Uh, he's a local boy for me. He's from Eastern Maryland. Right, uh, right, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh it's but it's hard. Have- does he have a plaque in Cooperstown? I mean, should he? I mean, oh, Tino he, Martinez? He, Come he, on. He, he shouldn't. But it's hard to get as, as mad about someone who's actually a good guy rather than yeah. someone who you just detest. So, exactly. So, Dan, I have, I have a question for you. I just, just, I'm just going to lay it on you here. All right. <laughs> Dan Simborski gets, like, God-level God powers. And the BBWA, Cooperstown, turns to you and says, you have two people that were five percented off just never made it that far who are the two people you yank straight they skip the voting do you know pass go collect two hundred dollars they go right into the hall who, and they have to have been five percented they they so um I, I can't i can't put in bonds and clemens or something um yeah okay i'll take that qualifier Okay, well, I'll I'll do both because okay. it's too easy that way. Right. Okay. And I know you don't want to, you don't get it's so fun to have a guest if you're if you're gonna ask easy questions. Like, right. Mookie Betts is good. Like, <laughs> um, he's uh, good. I, instantly, I, I I put Bonds and Clemens in. Let's just let's just get it out of the way. No. Nope. Don't have to worry about it anymore. We don't have to argue about it anymore. Right. Uh, right. Done. Uh, yeah. If I had to do guys who are five percented, then I'm putting in first Whitaker, and then it's it's tough. It would probably be between Jimmy Ed. It might be Kenny Lofton, Jimmy Edmonds, and and Bobby Grich for me. I think oh, I would Bobby probably be Grich because Grich probably would have is going to have more trouble getting attention uh, because his contemporaries are a lot older and there's less time for him. That's and a good point. It, if if given if given the choice, uh, I I know Bill James in in uh, the Politics of Glory. He kind of rejected the argument that the person is living, but I think that is a big deal. Right. I think it's very. I think contextually that, it is. Yeah, because we're honoring a person, and they're, they're, they're people, and you want the people to be able to enjoy the honor. Right. Uh, and to be able to feel like their peers respected them enough to, that they got, you know, it's, it's baseball's, people say they don't want to care about the Hall of Fame, but it's hard not to. It's the biggest honor you can give a baseball player. Right. And so, given what it is, it, it's hard for me to not care about it. But I would have like to see Ron Santo be able to have been able to know before he died that he was a Hall of Famer, that yep. his career is up there, that he's part of the, you know, the, the, the legend here. Uh, he didn't get to. And I would like Bobby Grich to have that before. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's very close for between like Grich and Lofton and Edmonds and, and, and uh, Kevin Brown. Uh, oh, Kevin who's a Brown, bit yeah. grumpier than the others, but yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you build that career, they should be able to enjoy it. Now, uh, if I rewind back to the Jeter thing for a little bit, you say not you're not going to vote for him because you know he's already in. Now, say is that the only the only reason why you know that he's in is because of the the public ballots that are out 
beforehand would make you say that? Or do you already feel like even if we didn't have Ryan Thibodeau's um, Hall of Fame tracker, that you would have still been like, ah, everybody else is going to vote for him. At least enough people are going to, you're going to do it. Or would you need that tracker to be available to get you to trigger to say, hey, you know what? I know it's happening because I can see it happening. People have been releasing their, their ballots before it's even due. I, I, I think what it would do, it, was a, it would change that threshold for me. Uh, the way I the, the way I've worded it in Twitter that when I have my vote in, in some years, uh, I don't intend if there's if there are more than ten players in the ballot, I don't plan to vote for any player who already has ninety percent on the tracker because yeah. w- when you have a tracker, you can you can see what people are voting for, and I mean you have almost half the ballots, and you yeah. know no, it's not a completely random sample, but it's not like nobody public is going to gain the ballots and everyone who's private is going to gain their ballots if you didn't have the tracker you have less of a margin of error you don't really know yeah. if someone's got like 85 percent or 95 percent support i think at that point i'd have to talk to other writers because we're not sworn to secrecy we're not a grand jury people we writers do talk with each other and if people other people were gaming their ballot also then i i, I think that i would you know, need that higher threshold. But in yep. the end, for Jeter, the only, if if we had a monumental screw up, and two hundred people suddenly started gaming their ballots, he just <laughs> get he he just get in next year. Right. A bunch, I, of, a bunch of Dan Saborskis show up yeah. for the, the private ballots. It's like, wait, yeah, that, I thought y'all were gonna vote for him. I signed it. It's the oh. Spider-Man meme. They're just pointing at each other. <laughs> but see, this we can we can only fail at this like in year one of a right. player's ballot. Yes. So. Like, say there was a monumental screw-up, and Jeter got 73% of the vote, because 27% of the people, for some reason, were taken by my opinion. Uh, that's We're getting re- very fanciful here. Right. Um, they all went to case, Andrew Jones. <laughs> yeah, it would have sucked, because Jeter should be in the hall. But yeah. the work... He wouldn't have been denied forever. He, he, it would have happened next year. It would say, okay, guys, we've got to vote for Gita this time around. And it would have been remedied the next year. That's the worst that can happen. Right. But, you know, if Bobby Abreu falls off the ballot, he's off the ballot forever. Until, right. And then he has to rely essentially on, on these bizarre committees that Hall of Fame has cobbled together awkwardly to, to remedy the situation. I mean, they can't even get Whitaker in. Uh, so I don't really think they're going to consider Abreu uh, yeah. or, or Edmonds or even Lofton. Um, it, it, it's sad that their priority list should be is is growing at such a rate that like guys like Abreu who deserve a, a shot, I think, um, are he, he's not even like you were just saying he's not even top three for me, three or four for me of like these veteran committee guys that we need to get in. Yeah, and we, and there kind of has to be more less of a focus because it's like we have like the modern day committee and the golden era committee. I right. think you actually need a dedicated today's game committee voting every year right now, mm-hmm. and I think you need it to be no writers or I think you need to you know impanel historians in it. I mean, right. get Bill James on there, even though he's a writer, he's also a historian essentially. Get Pete Palmer and John Thorne and. And and even and you know even Peter Gammons who does have a, a a vast knowledge of baseball history get them on the panel that that's just focused every year because we don't need more people from the 30s to the 50s in the Hall of Fame right uh, at least as a priority I mean you can say hey you know you know Stan Hack should be in the Hall of Fame like yeah you ha- you have an argument but but it, it, at this point we I mean yeah. the the moments pass yeah I mean we we can't really honor him as a person anymore we can only honor his memory I mean he he died like 40 years ago. Uh, and, and if you, I mean, I, I post this graph like every year, uh, the percentage of 
plate appearances or innings made by Hall of Famers in any given year. And if you look at some years in the 20s through 40s, 20 to 25 percent of position player plate appearances were made by people who were in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And it's people will be like, oh, but we're going to water down the Hall of Fame. It's like, no, you're not going to water down the Hall of Fame. No. Because if <laughs> you're going to water down the Hall of Fame, down. yeah, it had to be, you'd have to be like, it had, there would have to be like 90 hitters right, right now who would get in the Hall of Fame. Right. So, like, who's the best, who's the 90th best Hall of Fame candidate right now? Would it be like Raphael Fercal a few years ago? Would that, it's like Raphael Fercal getting in the hall. Right, right. exactly. Sean Piggins. Yeah, yeah, Sean Piggins. So. Of, of course, you could say that if Fercal gets in the hall, it's kind of like Fercal getting in the oh. hall. I would open to the... <laughs> yes, okay, so with the ballot clearing up as crazy as it's been clearing up over the last four years, right? They've elected quite a few people, and the BBWAA has. And so this year comes rolling around, and it's just Jeter and then Larry Walker on his 10th year that was really driving all the votes, right? So we saw a huge increase in Sheffield, Roland, uh, Wagner, and, like, Andrew Jones, right? They all made a pretty big jump this year. What do you see for their future on the ballot? I mean, they're fairly new into the ballot for most of them. I mean, I think uh, I think Wagner's halfway through his ballot years. I think he was on five this year. Um is that just a false look at what we saw this year, that they don't really actually carry a chance when we get to, say, like 2024 and they're still hanging around on the ballot and all of a sudden Maurer's there, Beltre's there, uh, David Wright, Utley, those guys start eating up those votes? Are we just uh, that jump that we saw this year for those four guys? Are we seeing just something that's not really going to pan out? I, I think it could pan out. Uh, I don't know about, say, like, say Omar Vizquel. I think that the resistance yeah. to him is mostly the analytical crowd, and that, that group's not going to shrink at this point, and I don't think that group's going to be convinced at this point. I'm not going to be convinced. I'm, I, I'll say it right here. I'll, I'll be voting on a ballot that he's on, assuming I'm alive and employed. Uh, I don't intend to vote for him. I don't think he's qualified for the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I do think that when you have fewer than 10 guys who are obvious candidates, and it looks like we might actually get there in the next few years, then it becomes easier because even if, if everybody agrees that, say, 14 guys are in the hall, you still have a problem because you have to get everybody to agree which 10 of the 14 you're going to vote for. Right. Uh, which, yep. which, which is a problem. Uh, and I think that, you know, you, you clear up the ballots a bit, and, you know, one way or the other, Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds will be out after two more elections, so you'll have that off the ballot, too. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you can make an argument that uh, that if you cleared off Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Walking, Jeter, and Jeter, Scott Rowland or, or Andrew Jones or, or Manny Ramirez are the best candidates on the ballot. Right. And uh, the Hall may not be particularly transparent about things, but one thing that the Hall wants is they want there to be an induction. Yeah, they, true. They don't I, want 2013 I, I, all over again. <laughs> yeah, they, they want to have an induction weekend. It's a very big deal for the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, I've I've heard from people off the record from the Hall of Fame that there it's important for their for their balance to be you know a solvent group to have that Hall of Fame that that's that's the week the weekend they make like like a very large percentage of their of their revenue right uh, from people coming in and you know the the whole Cooperstown support right structure behind them although you know people selling things books cards uh, so I think that that the Hall does want there to be people inducted. 
So it's a possibility. Like 2021, 2022 comes rolling around. And after that's all over, like you said, no matter what happens with Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, one way or another, they're off the ballot going into 2023. And only people that we see show up on the ballot before then that are really like our A-Rod, David Ortiz. I mean, that really spark. And 2023 comes in Carlos Beltran, who now has... Yeah, that's going to be just, he has, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so when 2023 comes around, I would assume that probably Ortiz gets first balloted in 2022. Those three that we mentioned earlier are gone. Now we're looking at Roland, and we're looking at Andrew Jones, and we're looking at uh, Billy Wagner, and we're like, okay, and Carlos Beltran. And we're like, okay, they want to induct somebody. Right. Is this the year that we start getting some of those guys that have those uh, Hall of Fame accounts on Twitter, right? I mean, we see them out there, the Elton Hall of Fame guys. And our, my, my Twitter account with Billy Wagner, right? I'm huge on Billy Wagner. And, yeah, he's uh, as good as Hoffman. So uh, he's, yeah. if Hoffman's oh, yeah. in, Wagner should be in. Oh, yeah. Simply put. Um, I, I think what also helps is not just clearing the ballot is you just have the guys not sucking up oxygen. Uh, because if you discuss Scott Rowland and Manny Ramirez, because – there were no new facts about Larry Walker that, that made him inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was, no. you know, it was convincing people to change their mind, and you only change your, people's minds about things when you're talking about things. Right. Without Bonds and Clemens and Schilling, and, and Sosa gets off the ballot, too, at the same time as they do. Uh, once you have them not talking about things, I mean, you, you, you have Roland as like one of the top five guys on the ballot, you'll see people talk about Scott Roland more and right. say, hey, he's, he's kind of Brooks Robinson in a slightly different package. Right. Uh, and, and Brooks Robinson's in the Hall of Fame, so why not Scott Rowland? And you do have, you know, you are going to have more analytically focused people get into the uh, uh, the, the voting. Right. I mean, I, I, could, I could name you like 30 guys that are numbers people who will be voting on the ballot when Scott Rowland is still a candidate. Uh, nice. I, I think he'll do very well with, with the new voters. I mean, I'm going to vote for Rowland. I mean, Mike Petriello oh. will vote for, for Rowland. I think pretty much everyone at Fangrass would vote for Rowland. Um, right. I'm pretty sure Jay Jaffe would. Uh, I haven't asked Jay, so I shouldn't really speak for him, but yeah. I, I think I think Jay would. Yeah, I would have and, so. And, you know, some a lot of the writers who are kind of on the fence and don't like voting for a lot of candidates, once a guy starts getting momentum, it seems to push them over. Right. Uh, because, I mean, Roland, he got 35% this year. Larry Walker got 35% like in year seven. Uh, mm. And there's nothing about Walker's case that's really any different than Roland's case. And Roland's case, in some ways, is even easier because you can point to you know the billion gold gloves, and you don't have Coors Field <laughs> kind of in the works for people. No one's, a, no one's saying Scott Roland was a, yeah. you know, a, a product of Bush. Right. Exactly. Yeah, the numbers are there for easy comparison. I mean, yeah, they didn't play the same position Walker and Roland didn't, but the numbers are there to sh- to show that. You know, he's Hall of Fame worthy just as much. And and then at the percentages that he's sitting at now with a with a much more open ballot coming up. I mean, you know, next year it's what Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter. That's not going to change anything. That's going to put person like Roland towards the top. Right. If it wasn't for Bond, Clemens and Schilling still hanging out on the ballot. Right. Which should have been probably resolved. I don't know, seven, eight years ago. But would it be uh, rude to note that I would vote for Hudson and Burley before Morris? No, it would be okay. encouraged. Well, then I will say that. <laughs> I love Mark Burley. Say that the night that I say it. No, I, no, I no. Think do it. Mark Burley's a number four pitcher on half the teams in the league. I think he gets. Oh, oh it. yeah, oh yeah. He, you know, he hasn't even turned forty yet. Oh no, yeah, so. he's he, he's. I I would draft him. I, I would I would bring him in. Why not? I would sign him. 
Mark Burley might be the number two picture on the Orioles this year. <laughs> I, think I'm gonna ask that to, I think I'm going to ask that to Twitter uh, after this because now I want to see what people think because who on the Orioles is better than – Mark, the, the Burley. Mark Burley right now. You can say today's Mark Burley. You can say you can say John Means. I mean, he I probably is. But you know, you don't have you don't have they don't even have Dylan Bundy anymore. Right. Uh, I I'm not even joking. I think Mark Burley is the second best picture on the Orioles in, in the rotation at least. Well, Jim, this is uh this is this is the second time we will I have love Twitter polls. This is the second time we will have ended the show talking about the Baltimore Orioles. How oh, th- this 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 season has been very strange. Uh, we gotta divvy this out. We got sixty shows to get that to yeah. two for every team. <laughs> well, the Orioles fit- are kind of the Orioles are kind of like an apocalyptically bad team. They so are. they should kind of end all conversations. They should that should be like the the landing the plane with no wheels just oh, yet. Uh, and I think Adam loves just ending up on like sour note or the <laughs> Orioles or whatever. Like last week, we ended up like, well, there might be a strike in a couple of years. All right, well, Deuces. that's the end of the show. Great to have you on today. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. So. Like that's how we're gonna end this. What the heck, Adam? Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, if if TS, if are you are are you guys poetry guys by any chance? Are we what? Are you are you are you poetry guys by any chance? Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, no. you, well, you know TS Elliot, the the Hollow Men. Yes. No. If he wrote it today, the or and he was a baseball fan, the Orioles would be part of it. You know, this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Not with not with a cross, but with an orange O. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of how it, it would end. That that is, uh, and uh, and I, I can't I can't do I anything it. more after that. We just we just T. S. Eliot'd our way out of this. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us. This, this was what a blast. Um, yeah, well, I'm yeah, not like. A- it's like a dream come true for me. Following your Twitter account and finally getting to meet you and hear from you. This is everything I expected. Thanks for blowing up our show. I appreciate it. Oh well, no, thanks for having me on, guys. You can you can call me anytime. You know you can. I'm 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 very talkative. We we could have recorded like a five hour show and we probably stop. <laughs> I would well, be I would be. We're gonna take you up on that. Yeah, Here don't don't hesitate. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm not gonna try to spell your name for your Twitter handle, but anyone That's who's why listening, I spell my name. You know how many times I have to spell my name. Well, you can find my work at Fangrass.com. Occasional work still at ESPN.com. You can find me at D Zimborski on Twitter. That's D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. If you're in Canada or the UK, that's Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. If you get it wrong, the Google man will fix it for you. Too many times. (laughs) He's at Passing Jim. I am at Adam C. Mack. We are RomanticAboutBaseball.com. Thank you so much. We will see you next week.